Amen. Thank you, choir and uh, musicians, for that blessing. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one who is every promise uh, kept, uh, every uh, the reality of every shadow, um, every image fulfilled. He is the Lord of all. I want to thank you again for coming this morning and worshiping with us. And as we continue in worship uh, through the hearing of God's word, uh, let's pray together and uh, lift up our hearts to him and ask again for a blessing. Lord, we come now, as we have lifted praises to you, we come now to hear from you. We pray that through your word, by your spirit, you would speak to us. And that as you speak, Lord, we know that the heavens and earth were created by your word, by your voice. And we ask now that you would speak to us, changing us, recreating us into the humanity you have designed us to be. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Now, some of you, I'm sure, have heard of a a man named Martin Luther. He was a Catholic priest. He was riding down the road on his horse, and a lightning bolt struck right near him and almost killed him. And that put the fear of God in him, for lack of a better way to put it. He became a Catholic priest. He went to a monastery, and he had a keen sense of his own sinfulness. In fact, uh, to, those, uh, to others within the monastery, it was um, frustrating. He would go to confess his sins to another monk, and uh, it would take him hours, literally, to confess his sin. And I don't think that's a bad thing. In, in other words, he was extremely sensitive to his sinfulness before a holy God, and he was afraid. And somehow he knew, somehow innately, he knew that no matter how much he did, no matter how many Hail uh, uh, Marys he prayed or whatever he did, he just could not get a sense of right standing before God. And then one day, he was studying the book of Romans, which deals with issues very similar to what we're talking about in the book of Galatians, and he made a discovery in the book of Romans. And when he made this discovery, this is what he wrote. I felt that I had been born anew and that the gates of heaven had been opened. The whole of Scripture gained a new meaning. And from that point on, the phrase... The justice of God no longer filled me with hatred, but rather became unspeakably sweet by virtue of a great love. Martin Luther learned something 
about the justice or another way to translate it would be about the righteousness of God that day. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bible and you're able and willing, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? We're going to pick up in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work, works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather... The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The word of God. You may be seated. So, let me briefly recap where we've been. False teachers have infiltrated the Galatian churches. Uh, They're sometimes called Judaizers because they apparently proclaimed a false gospel that faith in Christ was not enough to be a true and full Christian. You must also keep the Jewish law. And they came in and they undermined Paul's authority apparently by saying that he derived his authority from the other apostles, and they undermined his gospel, saying uh, it seems that he was preaching a soft gospel, not of faith plus Judaism, but faith alone to the Gentiles. And they, they claimed, were preaching the true gospel, faith plus the Jewish law. Paul responds in this letter to the Galatians by... by, uh, by defending his authority. And the way he defended his authority was to show, first, that he did not derive his authority from the other apostles, but rather he received direct revelation on the road to Damascus from God. He had a vision of Jesus Christ and was changed. And he received the gospel, the gospel of, of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is the gospel that he proclaimed. And in fact, um, he only went to Jerusalem twice in a 14 to 17 or maybe even longer than that period. 
He only, so he only saw the other apostles twice in that long of a time. And when he did see them, and when he did present his gospel to the other apostles, Paul says they added nothing to him. They did not add anything else to his gospel. But they rather affirmed him. They extended the right hand of fellowship uh, to him. And finally, Peter shows, uh, Paul shows his unique authority in the fact that when the apostle Peter, who, if there was a the leader, was someone who, who we could say was the leader of the early Christian church, it was the apostle Peter. And uh, Paul recounts how Peter came to Antioch and acted hypocritically, and Paul rebuked the apostle Peter in the presence of all at the church of Antioch. So, Paul thus concludes his defense of his authority and uh, uh, his gospel. And now in our passage today, Paul is getting uh, to the argument defending his gospel uh, from experience and from the Bible about how we know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we're going to see three things from this text. How do we know that our right standing before God only comes through faith alone. Three things. We receive the Spirit by faith. We become Abraham's children by faith. And we escape the curse of the law by faith. We receive the Spirit by faith. We become Abraham's children by faith. And we escape the curse of the law by faith. First, we receive the Spirit by faith. Again, verse 1, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So, first of all, Jesus, uh, I mean, Paul uh, makes his argument by asking the Galatians uh, several rhetorical questions. Now, look at how he addresses them. He says, Oh, foolish, foolish Galatians. Paul, I don't know if you can tell, is mad. He's, but he's lovingly mad. Have you ever been lovingly mad? Have you ever had someone that you love and they're acting like a fool when you're mad at them? Have you ever been someone acting like a fool and people you love are mad at you? People that love you are mad at you? If, think about it. If you love someone, you're going to get mad when they act like a fool. If you don't get mad, you don't love them. Well, Paul loves the Galatians, but they're acting like fools. He had proclaimed to them the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are so quickly falling away from it. And he asked rhetorical questions. In other words, he asked them questions that they already know the answer to. Because he said, he's, he's essentially telling them, if you would just think, you already know the answers. If you would just think, you would already know that what I'm telling you is true. You just need to stop and think. And so he asked them some rhetorical questions. The first one, he says, did you receive the Spirit, verse 2, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So remember, in the new covenant, entrance into the people of God is evidenced by reception of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. The Old Testament, 
proclaimed that, prophesied about that, whenever it speaks of the new covenant, and the New Testament makes that remarkably clear. In John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Jesus said, Truly I say, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. If you remember that passage, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he rebukes Nicodemus. He says, are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, if you understood the scriptures, you would understand what I'm saying. The, the Old Testament prophesied of the day that Entrance into the people of God would not be by sharing the blood of Abraham, but by receiving the Spirit of God by the faith of Abraham. In the day of Pentecost, uh, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit falls upon the disciples. They speak in tongues, and Peter stands up and interprets for the people what is happening. And this is what he says, Acts 2.16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh as your sons and your daughters, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. In other words, in the end days, God recognized and God planned that he would pour out his spirit on all people, and those who received his spirit were those who would be part of his people. In Romans 8, 9, Paul writes, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In Romans eight fourteen, he writes, All who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. If you're not led by the spirit, you're not a child of God. And so, and remember Peter's experience uh, in Cornelius' house that we talked about last week, that when, when the Gentiles received this, the Spirit in the same way that they received it at Pentecost, they could not deny that God was saving the Gentiles. It's undeniable. Because why? Because they had received the Spirit. And if, you're a spirit of, if you have the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. You, it cannot be denied. And Paul, think about what Paul's asking the Galatians. They're, they're, they're being tempted to turn to the law for salvation. And Paul asked them, it's so clear. He said, how did you receive the Spirit? Did you get circumcised and receive the Spirit? Did you stop eating barbecue and receive the Spirit? How did you receive the Spirit? By works of the law or when you believed on Jesus Christ? When you believed on Jesus Christ, you received the Spirit. So why would you turn to works of the law to be saved? The fact that the Spirit had come upon them when they believed and not by keeping the Jewish law decisively shows that entrance into the people of God and our right standing before God comes through faith in Christ and not through works. Next, uh, the next rhetorical question Paul asks, he says, are you so foolish? He's mad. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? In other words, Paul is saying... You know, he's, he's, he's telling them he really believes that they're saved for the most part, most of them, I'm sure. He's saying, he's giving them the benefit of that. He said, having, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? In other words, now that you are the people of God by the Spirit, 
do you now need the works of the law to perfect you? Or to, do you, now that this God got you in, so to speak, to the people of God by faith and by the Spirit, do you now need the works of the law to keep you saved? Paul says, no. The Christian life is spiritual, capital S, from beginning to end. You are saved through Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God, and you are sanctified through Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. You are kept from first to last by the Holy Spirit. You are saved and you grow and mature and obey by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit brought you into God's people and the Spirit will keep you in God's people. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? And then the next question he says, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain... In other words, what was likely happening is the Galatians probably endured persecution as Christians from the Jews, just like Paul did. In fact, if we have located uh, the churches in Galatia correctly as the churches that he uh, preached to in his first missionary journey, then we know that Paul faced great opposition uh, by Jews who followed him around and stirred up crowds and stuff as he proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles. And so uh, it's, it's easy to, it's very likely that uh, the Christians that were converted experienced persecution as well. But think about it. They were persecuted because they had faith in Jesus Christ. And the other Jews recognized what Paul was preaching, that in Christ, adherence to the, the Jewish law is no longer necessary. And so they saw that that was happening. And so what Paul is saying is, if you were persecuted by the Jews because of your faith in Christ and, and the putting away of the, the Jewish law, the not, not adhering to the Jewish law, did you suffer in vain? In other words, if you go back to the law now, you were persecuted for no reason. Because if you follow the Jewish law, the other Jews will just accept you as Jewish converts, as proselytes. And so you're... you're you will, you will have suffered in vain from the persecution from the Jews if you just go directly straight back to the law. And then finally, he asked uh, in verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, did the miracles that testified to the apostles' message as they went around and proclaimed the gospel, they performed many miracles... And he said, he's asking them, did the miracles that, that came about come to you through faith in the gospel or through the law? Now, it's important to understand that in the New Testament especially, it's clear that the miracles that Jesus performed and that his apostles performed were given largely to testify to the validity of the message. Jesus Christ, him, Jesus Christ didn't just show up and say, Hey, guys, you should believe in me. I'm the Messiah. Jesus said, even if you don't believe me, in, John, in the book of John, he said, even if you don't believe me, believe the works that I do. Uh, one guy believed in Jesus and, and, um, and, went to, and, and uh, was healed. He was blind, and the, the Pharisees called him in and were talking to him. And um, the man said, they asked him, who is this man? And the guy says, I don't know who he is. And he says, um, and and. The, the blind man says, all I know is this, I was blind. 
but now I see. In other words, he recognized that, and, and one of the things he said to the Pharisees was, um, we know that a sinner can't do works like these. And the Pharisees got mad and said, would you teach us? But even the man understood, the man understood, look, the miracles are testifying that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Jesus said, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In Acts chapter 14, in this town of Lystra, which again, if we locate Galatia correctly, Lystra is in Galatia. And this is what it says in Acts 14, 8. At Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began, began walking. In other words, how, did the man, how was the man healed? He had faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is asking all these questions to show the Galatians this. The entrance into the people of God is by the Spirit through faith. We are kept and matured as the people of God by the Spirit through faith. And miracles are worked among the people of God by the Spirit through faith. Why would you go back to the law? And so what could we learn from this passage? I think an important application that we should make is this. We must say as Jesus said, and as Billy Graham often, oftentimes said, you must be born again. So many people falsely rest their right standing before God in what they do as the basis of salvation. I go to church, or my parents took me to church. I was baptized. I prayed a prayer one time. I walked an aisle. Those things are not bad, but they cannot be the basis of your salvation unless you are born again by the Spirit of God. You will not see the kingdom of God. I'm telling you. How how do you know that you have the spirit of God? Can you look back over your life and see that you've been changed by God's spirit? I'm asking you. I would not be a faithful preacher of the gospel if I did not ask you. Can you look back over your life and see not just, not just that behavior has changed, although hopefully they have, but that your affections have changed. That's what the Spirit of God does. Do you, do you no longer want to do the things that you used to want to do? Do you now want to do things that you used to not want to do? do are there things that you... No longer want to do, but when you fall into them, you say, why did I do that? All of those things is evidence of the Spirit of God. Do you have an internal compulsion in you that when a temptation comes up and nobody will see it and nobody will know it and you could completely get away with it and no one would know but God, do you have a internal compulsion in you that causes you to do what's right? If that has never happened to you, you may not have the Spirit of God inside of you. Because the Spirit of God is in you, changing you, changing your affections, changing your desires, changing the way you look at the world. 
You must be born again. Salvation is not by works, but by the Spirit. If you don't have, if you don't know, if you have the Spirit of God, if you don't have the Spirit of God, I plead with you, look to Jesus Christ today and receive Him by faith. The second thing we learn from this text is that works neither secure nor sustain our right standing before God. I think this is important because I can personally testify to a season in my life where it was, it was, I did, when I became a Christian, especially as I matured some, it was quite easy for me personally to see how I couldn't save myself. I, you know, I could, I could, I knew my thoughts, I knew my heart, I knew my sin. It was very easy for me to see that I could not save myself, that I needed Jesus Christ to come and save me and bring me to the people of God. But functionally, what I believed and the, functionally the way I thought about God was that Jesus Christ saved me, but now I have to keep me saved. In other words, Jesus Christ got me in, but now I have to keep my act together or God's going to boot me back out. And hear me now, God to me, this is important. I believe many people really, really wrestle with this. God to me was a taskmaster way more than a father. I lived more in fear of him than in love of him. I was more scared about how he was going to punish me if I didn't act right than about how he loved me as his son through Jesus Christ. A lot of people struggle with this, I'm telling you. Let me tell you something. That is not Christianity. Jesus doesn't just get you in. He keeps you in. Jesus said, those who are in my hand, nothing can snatch them away from me. He saves you, and he keeps you from start to finish no matter what. That's why Paul says the Spirit, in Romans 8, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I'm telling you, you our, relation to, our relationship to God and our right standing to God from first to last is through Jesus Christ. The, on the, the moment that you were converted... Your right standing before God was through Jesus Christ. Your righteousness was at the right, seated at the right hand of God, there forever, never to be removed. And guess what? After you've been a Christian for 30, 40, 50 years, your righteousness is still seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You're still as righteous right now as the day you were converted because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your right standing before God is not you, it's Jesus Christ. And you have to preach the gospel to yourself every day. And you have to remember that God is your father. And not just a taskmaster. So, how do we know that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? We receive, number one, the spirit by faith. Number two, we become Abraham's children by faith. The second way we know salvation is through faith alone is that we become Abraham's children by faith. Verses 6 through 9. Just 
as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What is Paul saying? He, he's now moving from an argument from experience, the Galatians' experience, to an argument from Scripture of how we know we're justified by faith alone. And key to Paul's theology of justification by faith is Abraham. Why? Because Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation who, I would argue, is the type of the people of God. And there's a very important verse in Galatians in Genesis 15.6 that is central to Paul's theology. And it is this, that Abraham, God made Abraham a promise that he would have a son and he would be a mighty great people. And the scripture says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham's righteousness did not come through his works, although he did obey God. But that's not how his righteousness was counted to him. It was counted to him when he believed God's promise. And Paul concludes, therefore, that our right standing before God, like Abraham, is through faith and not through works. And so then in verse 7, Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the children, who are sons of Abraham. Remember, in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, the Jews thought that they had right standing before God and were guaranteed the promises and the blessing that God gave to Abraham by virtue of the fact that they were Abraham's descendants. That they had Abraham's blood in their veins. That they were circumcised. Because God did, in fact, give Abraham the covenant of circumcision in Genesis chapter 17. The Judaizers, no doubt, saw, uh, believed that uh, circumcision and adherence to the Jewish law is part of what it meant to be God's people. And that's why they were teaching it and requiring it. But um, in Romans chapter 4... And you, you, you have to read it to really understand what he's... I, I can't explain the whole thing here. But in Romans chapter 4, Paul argues that God, uh, God counted uh, faith uh, as righteousness to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. God gave the covenant of circumcision to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. Paul argues in Romans 4 that circumcision was only just a sign of the righteousness that Abraham already had by faith. So the point is, is that, and so what Paul is saying is that God was, through Abraham, was pointing forward, looking forward to the day when he would uh, save all people who believed in Christ by faith in the promise and not by adherence to the law. Because to be a true Jew, to be a true child of God, is not to have the blood of Abraham, but to have the faith of Abraham. 
That's what it means to be saved. That's how you become part of the covenant people. Not becoming, not keeping the Jewish law and being circumcised, not sharing in Abraham's circumcision, but sharing in Abraham's faith. And Paul does something quite astounding here. He connects Abraham's justification by faith in Genesis 15 with the promise that all the nations through him would be blessed. That's in Genesis 12. In other words, Paul says that God's promise that through the person of Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed is fulfilled in justification by faith. Every person who believes and shares in the faith of Abraham in the risen Jesus Christ is, receives the blessing that God promised to Abraham thousands of years ago. It's all part of the story. It's all one thing God is writing. There's not a single detail that God didn't put in there on purpose. That the blessing of the nations comes through salvation by faith. What is this? Uh, how can we apply this text? I think it would be uh, appropriate here to uh, explain a little bit, to talk a little bit about why God would choose faith as the mechanism for salvation. Why would God decide to use faith? Why wouldn't God use merit? Why wouldn't God make people say, um, uh, you, you, just, you work as hard as you can and, and, and you let your good outweigh the bad and then you can be saved? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't God do that? Why would he want to use faith as a mechanism of salvation? Two reasons. Number one, faith excludes human boasting. Faith excludes human boasting. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, uh, Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. In other words, if, if salvation was by works, you could boast in how good you were to earn God's favor. And God says, no braggadocious person is getting to me. No proud person is coming to me. Faith obliterates human pride because faith requires then that if you come to God, you have to come to God as a beggar. The president of the United States and a person living in the slums of India both have to come to God saying, I am nothing. Please have mercy on me, a sinner. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how much you have in your bank account, you have to come to God as a beggar pleading for mercy by faith in Jesus Christ. It humbles man. Faith is at one and the same time a despairing of yourself and a joyful freedom that God is infinitely for you in Christ. Hear me now. Faith is the essence of humility. Now, some people misunderstand humility and faith. They think that humility is wallowing in self-pity or guilt or shame. 
That's not faith. Because what does faith do? Faith, by definition, what? It takes your eyes off yourself and makes you look to God. If you wallow in self-pity and guilt and shame, you're not looking to God, you're looking to you. You're still trying to justify yourself. You see? Faith takes your eyes off of yourself and says, no, I don't deserve it, but Christ is my righteousness. I am nothing, but Jesus Christ is everything for me. It takes your eyes off yourself and makes you look to God. There's the, God's a genius. He's a genius. That's why salvation is by faith. He forces you, demands that you look nothing to yourself and look totally to him. Finally, faith honors the one who is trusted. Think about the obedience of children. Why, when your children disobey, why is it so painful? Because their disobedience shows what? That they don't trust you. When you tell your child to do something and they don't do it, the reason why it hurts is because they didn't believe that you were wise enough and good enough to tell them to give, to give them commands that would only help them and not hurt them. That's why disobedience hurts. Faith honors the one who's trusted. When a child trustingly obeys their parents, who's honored? The parent. The parent is honored because the child saw and trusted enough in the parent and thought they were good enough and wise enough to obey. So... This explains, so faith, unlike anything else, it honors God. Because when you trust in God and believe in God and out of, out of faith and trust obey God, nothing honors God like a faith-filled life. Because you are telling the world God is wise and God is trustworthy. So faith-fueled obedience, hear me now, faith-fueled obedience is totally different than works-based obedience. One acts out of trust and belief. The other acts out of fear or mistrust or out of self-righteousness, as in I could, I could be good enough. One obeys because they know they are loved. The other obeys in order to be loved. There's a difference. Some people spend their wills working and working and working, trying to think if I could just do more, then I could make God love me. No, but God loves you through Jesus Christ. So you can't earn it, but he already loves you. You just have to accept it. It both humbles you and frees you at the same time. C.S. Lewis said, to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. You see, that is why salvation is by grace through faith. How do we know that salvation is by faith alone? We receive the Spirit by faith. We become Abraham's children by faith. And finally, we escape the curse of the law by faith. 
verse 10 through 14. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I'll be brief here. Paul is saying that the reason that the law can't save, he's, he's furthering his scriptural argument for why the law can't save. And he's saying it can't save because the law itself puts a curse on everyone who doesn't keep it. The law, it says, the law itself says, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things that are written in the law. The law demands a curse. And Paul says, he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. And he says, in addition to that, Habakkuk 2.4 says, quote, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, Habakkuk was a book uh, anticipating the judgment on Israel through Babylon. And yet, in the book of Habakkuk, there are glimmers of hope about future deliverance from the impending judgment through exile. And so, in Habakkuk, the paradigm for faith is that those who trust in God's future promise are those who stand righteous before God. The righteous live by faith. And then in verse 12, Paul says then, but he says, but the law then is totally opposite from this. The law says the one who, who does them shall live by them. So we see that Paul draws a contrast between faith and the law. You cannot, you cannot add them together. Lots of people try to add faith plus works. And Paul says you can't. They, they form an irreconcilable antithesis. If you try to be justified by your works, you nullify grace. You either must come by faith in Christ or not at all. And then finally, verse 14, and most importantly here, or, or verse 13. How then do we escape the curse of the law since we are all under the law's curse? Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You see it? Jesus Christ came in, the only person who never broke the law, bore the curse of the law for you. You see it? Therefore, if you unite yourself with him through faith, Jesus Christ's death becomes your death. His life becomes your life. The curse that he bore was your curse. And now all that remains for you is blessing. Because all the curse was taken by Jesus Christ. That's why in verse 14 Paul says, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul understands that the blessing that was promised to Abraham, that in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, 
He understands that to be the Spirit of God. Jesus, remember one thing Jesus said that blew the, uh, the Pharisee's mind? He says, Abraham saw my day, and he was glad. Abraham watched, watched Jesus be born and be crucified and rise from the dead. And Abraham was glad. Why? Because the promise that God made to Abraham thousands of years before was fulfilled in him. Isn't that amazing? And you partake of that promise, that same promise today, when you believe in Jesus Christ. And when you receive the Spirit by faith. So the question as I close today is this, has Jesus Christ borne your curse for you? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been born again by the Holy Spirit and been changed from the inside out? If not, you right now can be saved by the Spirit of God. Look to Christ in faith. Turn away from yourself and look to him. Look at the risen Lord ascended on high at the right hand of God and tell him, ask him, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he will, because of Christ has borne the curse for you. In a moment, we're going to sing a song of decision. I'm going to be standing right here if anyone wants to come and talk to me how you can know Jesus Christ.